0: Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. We are looking at 1 uh, Timothy chapter 2, uh, the first seven verses. Uh, I'm going to go back and look a little bit into chapter 1. Uh, I've got a lot of ground to cover. They're, they're simple verses if you read them. Well, I'm going to read through them here. You kind of blow through them. just kind of sounds like it's talking about prayer, church service, da-da-da, whatever. But remember, these are the first verses that Paul is giving to Timothy for instruction on how to correct the false teachers. He can't spend the entire first chapter, especially ending the first chapter mentioning the false teachers Hymenaeus and and Alexander and handing them over to Satan and then just begin a second chapter going, okay, well, let's talk about how the church service is going. This would have to be the first beginning of the correction of the error. So. I'll, I'll read the last verses of chapter 1 beginning in verse 18. Timothy, out of the NIV, and then we'll go to the English standard here in our notes with the Greek text. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may, be, you may fight the good fight, holding on to, the, to faith and a good conscience. Some have shipwrecked these. Uh, excuse me, some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. We're going to spend a moment looking at that. Whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Now begins chapter two without, you know, forget the chapter break and just assume he's, he's writing this letter. And so I urge you then, first of all. And that word first, proton, means first in the first order, the the first doctrine, the first subject, the first place, the first practice. Uh, Here's where I'm going to start. I'm going to start by correcting prayer. Uh, I urge then, first of all, which would indicate there's a list of things coming. I'm going to correct this, and I'm going to correct this. And he starts with prayer. He says, first of all, that request, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving... Uh, be made for everyone and you're going to notice in these verses 1 through 7 the word all is used I think six times and so it's all one it would appear now the first thing we're going to mention it was mentioned again an all-inclusiveness in Paul's gospel which means the false teachers may have created some kind of a an elite special group and have have blocked off their condition from the availability to other people. And so, first of all, this prayer, and again, it's a general prayer. It's every aspect of prayer for everyone and then for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And that's identifying the character, the outward fruit, the outward manifestation of the the Christian life. That again, lawlessness of the false teaching because false teaching will produce lawlessness. And so the, the people that are listening to false teaching, the church must have drifted into some kind of lawlessness or you know sinful behavior, accepting sin. Well, so he's correcting this right here, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Now he identifies what he's just said as this is This is good. This is God's will. This is good and pleases God our Savior. And he says, Who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So this is God wants all men and to come to the knowledge of the truth, not knowledge of the air, the doctrine, doctrinal mistakes. Then he goes on with the concept of one God, one, you know, our our God, our Savior. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men The man or the human Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given at its proper time, which would be that is the way this salvation is communicated. The testimony, the proclamation, the teaching, the preaching, the proclaiming of the good news, uh, the testimony given at its proper time. And in verse seven, he ties us all into his ministry. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I am telling you the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the true faith to, and here's probably one of the key phrases, to the Gentiles, which that whole thing of all, 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 and then he says, I'm not lying, I, I'm, I'm an apostle, I, I'm a, a, a preacher, I'm, and he says, I'm not lying. I am a teacher of the Gentiles. And so we go back to the false teaching. It would appear that within Ephesus by this time, they've, they've isolated themselves. They've got an elite group. And it may be they're challenging Paul's ministry, Paul's vision. saying, well, he's gone a little too far. We're going to get things back on track. And they've rejected Paul's outreach to the Gentile world because they're interpreting possibly Jewish scripture. Maybe they got their own. We don't know all the details, but they seem to be inclusive or exclusive with their elite group and possibly shutting off the ministry to the Gentiles. That's why Paul ends this whole thing, because it seems kind of scattered as it goes through. We'll look at this as, as we go. Now, the first thing I want to do is, we ended last week talking about Alexander and Hymeneus, and we didn't finish this. And these are two people, the first one, Hymenaeus, and then uh, Alexander. And the, this can be important, because Hymenaeus, the first one that we see right there, Hymenae, better put another E here, Hymenae, put an E in here, excuse me, I'll erase that as soon as I can, uh, go to page 13, that's a scary thought, page 13 of your notes, it's in the back, yes, that's why we got to talk fast today, yes, we're in trouble, I hope you don't have dinner or plans, okay, no, uh, and and this he's going to be mentioned he mentions hymenaeus and alexander who he's handed over to satan to be taught not to blaspheme that means these people in 62 a.d are teaching something uh, blasphemous paul left there in 57 a.d due to a riot and we we, real quickly just to get a, a perspective on this this is the the third missionary journey there's Ephesus right here. Paul left and went up through here to, you know, come over to Corinth. So this is 57 AD. He leaves, stops back and goes to Jerusalem. But he leaves right after this event takes place. And this is the harbor that, l- that leads into a little canal that leads into Ephesus. Remember uh, the street that goes by the bath, possibly where John, we talked about John on mon- uh, Monday nights, what met so- uh, uh, Sorenthus there. And leads right up to the theater. Here's the Agora where the shops were, the metal shops, the, the guilds were. And the riot broke out because something was affecting Artemis worship. And those that were working the business rioted and went over to the theater. It's, this is going to open up some things here. Alexander is going to end up trying to speak to them. And Alexander, we're going to see here in just a moment, is a Jew. And, okay, we'll talk about Alexander in a minute. But nonetheless, this is... 57 a.d paul then goes to jerusalem is arrested and placed in prison uh and gets out around 62 a.d is probably when he drops paul timothy off here and during this period 57 to 62 a.d things have he's been gone and the elders of the church just like paul said when he went by here at the end of uh on his way to jerusalem he says men among you is going to rise up and gather people for their own benefit now he comes back five years later and sure enough there's elders in the church that are misleading the people so that's 62 a.d and he says he's handing hymenaeus and alexander over to saint to be taught not to blaspheme but at the top of page 13 when we get to second timothy this would be five years later 67 a.d ten years after originally there five years after this letter he writes this and notice this is some information Uh, He writes 2 Timothy 2.18. He tells Timothy, which also the church would be reading, avoid irreverent babble. And that sounds like the myths and endless genealogies he refers to in 1 Timothy. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, false teaching, And pointless information is going to lead them into more and more speculation and more and more lawlessness or ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. It will spread and start destroying the whole community. Among them are, guess what? There's a name, are Hymenaeus. Now it doesn't say Hymenaeus, the one I mentioned in 1 Timothy. But we're going to, you know, and you can be judgmental and make, make corrections. I'm assuming this Hymenaeus of First Timothy chapter two or chapter one at the end of the chapter is the same Hymenaeus five years later. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Watch, who have swerved from the truth in First Timothy. They've shipwrecked their faith. Uh, they've swerved. So he's still functioning. He's been handed over to Satan. Uh, in First Timothy in 62 AD, which didn't mean a bolt of lightning struck him in the streets of Ephesus, he's still floundering around five years later, misleading people. Now, how, how that all plays out, I'm not sure, but he's not apparently responding to any kind of discipline or correction, and here's his swerve from the truth, and here's what they're saying. This will help us in, get some insight, possibly, in what Paul's saying here in these verses 1 through 7, saying that the resurrection has already happened. So one of his things that he was saying, uh, at least in sixty-seven AD, and possibly back here, is he is reinterpreting the Christian message, and talking that we are already in the age of the resurrection. That by whatever, if it's when you got born again, or if it's a historical event, whatever, we're in the kingdom age now. This is we've already been resurrected. We're here. There's nothing more to look at. This is the age. which would mean in the age, the nations are irrelevant because they've all come to Christ or you've got the kingdom of God over here and the nations are, are nothing. Uh, you have no connection with them. Something, uh, in other words, he's out, his eschatology is totally messed up, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Imagine me teaching you the Bible, but the point, I, my foundation is Not that someday we're going to see the return of Christ and there'll be a resurrection and the glorification of the body, but right now we've got to deal with the sin nature. Uh, We are born again, justified, but we are in the process of being sanctified, overcoming the sin nature right now because we still have a sin nature, but we are justified, being sanctified. But the day is going to come where we are glorified and all my teaching does fall into that framework. We're justified, being sanctified, waiting for glorification. But now take my all- my teaching and put it over here, and I'm now saying, we're already glorified. We're already there. You're not trying to be sanctified any more than you're trying to be justified. Do you have faith in Christ? You do. You've been justified through Christ right now today. You don't need to get justified. You are in Christ. you are justified. You're seated with Him in heavenly places. But in time, you still have a sin nature. you're still being. You can still sin. So that's that's the framework. Imagine I push it all the way up here. You don't need to worry about justification. You're already justified. You don't need to worry about sanctification. You're already holy. You're already perfect. You're just here ruling and reigning. It's like, that would change the presentation of the Bible study, and it would change your application of the teaching. Anyway, saying that the resurrection has already happened, they are upsetting the faith of some, but... God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. If you are a believer and you've been led into that, he says, God will lead you out of it and you will forsake the iniquity that Hymenaeus is leading you in in 67 AD. So that's Hymenaeus. And that gives us an insight of possibly one of the false teachings, their conclusion, their speculation. We're already in the age of of, uh, glorification. Now, Alexander, the same time frame would remain there, but now watch this. Alexander is the next mentioned four times he is mentioned, and he is, well, let me read right there, Acts 19, 33 through 34. Now remember, when this riot begins to take place here at this theater, right across the street, uh, right across from the Agora on Arcadia Street, so they would have crossed Arcadia Street, gone to the theater, there's a man, Alexander, that's going to be there. Remember the leaders of the city. Some of the, pro- the leaders uh, of the city emailed Paul or sent him a message and says, don't go to the theater because Paul was trying to get out of the house wherever he was at and get down to the theater and address the crowd. You say, well, wow, what a bold man. He's going to go down there and maybe present them with the gospel. True, he wants to go out and present the truth to them. But when you look at it this way, Alexander has... A metal worker from the Agora, apparently a believer. He's a Jew, probably come in line with Paul because Paul's a Jew. He's a Jew, and he's going to want to take the, his Jewish background and, and keep Christianity or this message in the Jewish community or whatever. Paul's absent. The riot breaks out because Artemis' temple's been uh, uh, desecrated in the sense that they're not selling the same amount of little idols little statues and the and the economy is crashing Goes all these ships are coming in tourists are coming worshipers are coming and it's just not you know it's it's hit a hit a snag as far as the economy so they begin to riot but alexander says ah i know what to tell them so alexander is going to start up and begin to address the crowd and paul hears it from home what, or he sees live on the broadcast, what, Alexander's going to explain the gospel. No, I don't want Alexander explaining the gospel. And so Paul, that may be why Paul says, I've got to get down there because I've got a false teacher going to represent what's going on. Well, here it is. Uh, the theater protest. This is Acts chapter 19. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander who, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hands, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. So here's Alexander. The riot breaks out here. They go across the, the theaters filled with men, the, the tradesmen, the guilds, writing, Great is Artemis of the Athenian or Ephesians. And uh, Alexander, the Jews, go, You go say something, you go say something. Paul's not here, you go say something. So Alexander steps up, motions with his hand, Okay, let me clear this up. And it's like and, and Paul would be like, No, I don't want him speaking. Uh, he motions with his hand, uh, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they cried out with one voice Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They wouldn't let him speak. And so, you know, Paul's like, finally, something goes his way. But then he ends up leaving. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, now his name is mentioned twice in that verse. It's mentioned here at the end of chapter 1, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who in 62 AD. Which would be about five years after this riot, he's being handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So, so blaspheme would be his teaching, his what he's explaining about God, his view of God is blasphemy. It's wrong. And it's not like we can correct it. We've tried. He just keeps preaching blasphemy. Now we go to 6070 in Second Timothy 4:14. 2 Timothy 4.14. 4, uh this would be 10 years after the riot five years after first timothy paul is writing timothy his last letter um when you come he tells timothy bring the cloak that i left with carpus at troas also the books and above all the parchments the books would be the papyrus the parchments would be the animal skin probably the old testament books then he says alexander the coppersmith now is this the same alexander You can say yes, you can say no. Uh, In one case, he's a Jew. Here he's a coppersmith. The fact that he would be working as a coppersmith, he would be working uh, here in this Agora, going across Acadia Street over into the theater. Those are just some more pictures there. He would be there working. There's the theater. There's the Agora. That's where the artisans of silversmiths work, and Alexander would be one of them, so he's right there in the group and ends up having a chance to get in front of the audience here in the theater, I'm saying, uh, yes, he's the same guy. It's not absolute, but he's causing trouble for him in Acts. He's causing trouble for him in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Uh, and then there's Acadia Street. There's the Gora. There's the Harbor. There's the Main Street coming in. You turn. There's the theater. We've seen all that before. And with that, we'll go to there. Okay, we're done looking at photos. Uh, when you come bring my cloak then he says alexander the coppersmith did me great harm the lord will repay him according to his deeds now we're not sure what he did then he says to timothy who's still in ephesus where alexander is still functioning beware of him for he strongly opposed our message now alexander if it's the same guy is not a a secular uh Artemis worshiper he if he's the same guy he's a Jew working in the Agora making money on the system that's there but he somehow because he's a Jew he's hooked up with Paul he's associated himself with the early church of Ephesus and Paul was going this way with the doctrine and Alexander was going this way and in the end it was Alexander versus Paul and there are two different messages. He was handed over to Satan in 62 A.D. Paul probably didn't want him speaking in 57 A.D. to represent the church or the doctrine. And by uh, 67 A.D., when he's in prison, he tells Timothy, look out for him because I'm in my position now because of him. And so that is some insight into the false teaching. And so the two things we get out of that, again, we're, we're still in that area of like what's absolutely going on is Uh, In 2 Timothy, Hymenaeus is teaching the resurrection has already happened, so we're already, in a sense, glorified, whatever that would mean to him. But it would mean you can't sin, potentially. Uh, It would mean the kingdom is already in its fulfillment. This is the best it gets. Uh, So eat, drink, and be merry now. I'll show you some more verses here in a minute. That's one. And then also the idea of the Jews, Alexander, have possibly tried to override the gospel message and rein it back in to Judaism. So this one could be going in a way of lawlessness, of of sinfulness. This could be going the way of legalism and staying within the Jewish law. And all that is coming up here in these verses. So here we go. Now we go to our notes. Uh, Page 1, 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 7. The topic of this letter is concerning or is commanding and empowering Timothy to stop false teachers uh, in the church. And it's also, it's written to Timothy, but the church is also reading it. Here's the problems that were already identified in chapter 1. There's different doctrine. They're using myths and endless genealogies. There's speculation about what the truth is instead of the clear, absolute teaching of the faith in the Word of God. In other words, that idea of, if you get out there in that area of like, well, no one really knows, of speculation, it really doesn't hold you very accountable compared to this is what the word now again i showed you on monday night the chart the absolutes then there's some things that are kind of in the middle then there's things that are not worth dividing over it's like we could argue about the method of baptism or something like that the ideal is some things are absolute some things we got to be a little more lenient on but if you can put all of the christian doctrines in an area of speculation who really knows if paul even wrote any of this if if this is just legend or who knows well you're in progressive christianity it's like he gets you it's like whatever you want to do it's like he gets right where he at because who knows it's like well that would be the situation here of of that spec that's the ideal of speculation there's no absolutes vain discussion misteaching of the law law which leads lawlessness rejecting uh, rejecting a good conscience shipwrecked faith and blasphemy Uh, that next point is the word proton means the first thing Paul wants to talk about is this right here And I got at the bottom there, the bottom bullet point, it appears the fall teachers had misdirected and misled the believers concerning three areas. And right here, I've already said a little bit about them, but underneath each of those three areas, I've got a verse from 1 Corinthians listed that is, if we would take time, you can see the same thing is popping up right across the Aegean Sea in Corinth. It's the same thing. The first issue potentially is this. People outside the accepted group of believers... Concerning other people such as Gentiles or unbelievers. In other words, if they're outside the group, we don't have room for them. In 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 22, it talks about uh, some people being separated. We got got our group, and then we've got the outsiders. And Paul says, no, we got to stay together. We're all the same. So there's that, that exclusive. The second bullet point, the secular leadership seems to have been ignored, neglected, or no longer considered valid they're going to start talking about prayer for all people not just your group all people and for the government leaders it's like the season it's the emperor is nero at this time you need to be praying for the king or the emperor and all those that he's placed in authority all the way down to your local government it's like what they don't even matter we're already in the kingdom age so I asked, has the Christian community been taught some form of complete salvation? And we find out yes in 2 Corinthians. Has Christian community been taught that the kingdom of God has already completed, it was completed and functioning and led to some kind of a disconnect with the current state of the government? You see Christians do that, just isolating. Today, you're gonna just stay over here and hide. It's like, well, you're part of this community. You're part of the kingdom of God, but you're still living here. And that is exactly the case that you see in 1 Corinthians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. And here's what Paul writes to the Corinthians there at the bottom of page 1 in 1 Corinthians 4 concerning this already what we'd say realized eschatology. He writes, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign. He says, I wish you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. In fact, if we were in the kingdom age, we would be ruling together. Now he makes a comparison. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, according to the world, but you are so wise in Christ, according to the world. We are weak to the world, but you are so strong in the eyes of the world. You are held in honor, but we uh, disreputed. To the present hour, meaning up until this very moment, page two at the top, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed. We are buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. He says, to this very hour, we're still struggling in life. But somehow, you've already entered the kingdom of God. You're already kings. You're ruling and reigning, living in luxury. It's like, his point is, it does make sense that the apostles of Christ are struggling, but yet you that have received this message have taken and found the, the doorway to fulfillment. It's like, someone's wrong here. And of course, the point is, you're wrong. So we do see that fulfilled eschatology in Corinth that I think is taking place here and is referred to in 2, Corinthians or 2 Timothy. And the third point, the Christian community had drifted from pursuing godly and dignified lifestyles that reflect their God Uh, and then I got all this, you can see all that stuff where he writes in 1 Corinthians 5 about sexual immorality among them in Corinth and how they are approving it. It's like like sexual immorality, it's not an issue. He says, yes, it is. Now, if you're already glorified and you can't sin, I guess you can't do anything wrong. And they were, in fact, it talks about, are you so arrogant or are you boasting about it? They were boasting, look, look what we can do. We've got sexual immorality. We've got transgender pastors. It's like, aren't we there? It's like, what, you're boasting about this? The fact that you've got a transgender pastor leading your church into homosexuality means you've totally lost the game. But yet you're saying, oh, we're waving the rainbow flag. That's what they were doing. And he goes, Come on, you've completely missed the mark. And so that is kind of that's what we see in Corinth. We got some reflection of that going on in Timothy. And so here's how these first verses break down right here. The first part is going to be prayer. Oh boy, this is and I I really like this chapter. It's it's prayer, and he's gonna be showing them how to pray, but then he's gonna tie it in with it's all very logical god's will or god's desire why do we pray this way because it's god's will that's that's verses uh three through four that's two three through four but then how do you know it's god's will now watch this coming from monday night classes we've got scripture scripture or where are you getting scripture in 62 a.d uh we call it the old testament It's like they were not without authoritative Scripture. They had Genesis through what we'd say Malachi, or in their case, Genesis through Chronicles, the order of the book. Uh, They had Scripture. And so Paul's going to go to Old Testament Scripture and verify that I know God's will because I'm still teaching Scripture, which is another attack on the false teachers because they've got to get rid of the Old Testament to justify their new doctrine because their new doctrine is completely out of line with the Old Testament. So, well, that doesn't matter. You know, you see it today. Oh, the Old Testament, that's, that's the old way. That's the old God. That's just legalism. We've got the new way. And then you hear, now, what's that mean? Well, you've got to stay in line. So Paul says, here's how you're supposed to be praying because that's what God's will is. Pray God's will. How do you know it's God's will? Because it says so in Scripture. And then from here, he's going to be talking about all. And then he says, now, he says, all men, He's going to say his ministry, Paul's ministry is exactly, this is exactly what I'm doing because the scripture says it. It's God's will, so here's how you pray. It all comes down to his ministry, which would probably indicate also Alexander and Hymenaeus are like, Paul's got the wrong ministry. We've rejected the Old Testament scripture. We know what God's will is. And Here's how we pray. We don't pray about all people or the leadership because we're beyond all that. And Paul says, okay, first of all, you need to pray for all people and you need to start praying for your leadership so you can have a chance to have a quiet, peaceful life. How do you know? Why should we do that? Because it's God's will. How do you know it's God's will? The scripture says so. And my whole ministry is based on this practice. And so, here we go that's where this whole thing is heading and we could quit right there and say we've covered the verses but you can see it right there do notice on the bottom of page two no we're not going to quit right there we're going to drag this out for three more weeks look right there on those notes you can see the word all is highlighted or underlined uh and that that is that's a theme it's it's ex- everyone is and i'll tell you ahead of time when it says all The idea probably is, and we'll show you the case, you don't have to agree with this, obviously God wants all, every individual to come to faith in Christ and to come to the fullness of the knowledge of God. But the use of the word all is probably talking about you've got the Jews and then you've got the rest of the people. God wants not just the Jews to come to faith, but all the peoples to come. So you can make the application for individuals, but the context here is probably we're not exclusively limiting this to the Jews. But all people, this is going to go to all, and because Paul, he ends the book, the last word in the, in the NIV is a minister or teacher of the Gentiles, meaning I'm going to the Gentiles and there's going to be some opposition, like why are you going to the Gentiles? It's a waste of time. All right, um, page three. Uh, I'm going to read those first Three little paragraphs there. These verses logically connect God's plan of salvation for all men to God's revealed will found in the Old Testament, which promised a man to pay the ransom for all men. This is exactly what Paul's appointed mission is, a teacher of all the Gentiles of this faith and this truth. Somehow the false teaching of the different doctrines, the myths and endless genealogies, the speculation, the vain discussions, had led to a misapplication of the law, leading the Ephesian church to a lawless lifestyle, rejection of a good conscience, blasphemy, and shipwrecking the faith. Now, the first, uh, the first of all, the Ephesian community did not understand and, and were not praying in line with, one, God's revealed will, which included secular or Gentile leadership, God's revealed desire that all Gentiles would meet the promised man, and they were contrary to Paul's ministry. So here's our first verse. First of all, this is right out. This is now the English standard, and I've got in boxes there in the Greek the word panton, panton, which means all. Panton is all. So your, your two Greek words, proton first, panton all. Okay, and, and don't quote me on saying it correctly. First of all, in the English standard, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for. All people. So I think the important right there is first. First. This is, I'm going to start. This is not like he's switching subjects. This is now, I, I urge you to stay there and correct the false teachers. Your first place to start is right here with prayer. They don't know how to pray because they don't know God's will. You need to straighten out prayer. First of all, and then he urge is the same word used in chapter. Uh, 1 verse 3, it means to exhort, encourage. I urge you, I exhort you. You can almost say I command you. First of all, fix their prayers. And the words that are used, urge that, four words, supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. You can break those down. Of course, I would try to break those down into four different types of prayer. But it's probably more like a, a rainbow, more like an arch of, you know, they're going to have, uh, one of the words is prayer. Which is a very general word. Uh, the first word is is the word uh, uh, supplications, uh, and then the last word is thanksgiving, and all these are all of these are plurals. So it's not like prayer; it's prayers, supplications, thanksgivings, and the word I'm missing here is uh, supplication prayers. Oh, intercessions, and really, this is. Intercession would be praying for other people or interceding in situations. Prayers would be very, very broad, very, very general. Supplications would be coming and asking for something. We need this help. Uh, you know, we we need uh, some provisions somewhere. And then Thanksgiving would be both past, what you have done for us, and future of we know confidently. So it's like it's this whole thing. This would be all types of praying should be made for all people and for your leaders so i'm going to turn the page and there's your list of all those words um the f- point three supplications this first word supplications or entreaties uh it means uh a, a need uh, entreaty meaning to uh, i i want or from a lack we're, we're lacking something uh, prayer is a genetic term giving a petition request in fact sometimes these words other words well especially that word desis is which is used supplication this other place is other places translated prayer so it's, it's it's that close you really can't in a general sense you can but you can't say there's four types of prayers here intercession or supplication, of petition. This is the only place this word is used. It's a technical term which is used to say approaching the king. It was used to refer to a formal petition of a person going to a higher rank. If you would go to your boss at work and petition them for a day off, I want to go to the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade. You would make that would be an intercession. That would be a, a petition. If you go to God and enter uh, intercession for someone to be healed, that would be, so it could be as simple as your boss, or, uh, uh, now you guys can make a joke about husbands and wives, but I'm going to pass that up and say, it's like a husband asking his wife or his wife, I'm trying to figure which way I'd go with it, I'm just going to skip that whole, try and make a joke. Uh, especially with what's coming up in verses at the end of the chapter okay uh thanksgiving of course i said it before that's that's clearly thanksgiving you're thanking god so you're not asking for something you're thanking god for what you're doing and this is he says i urge that this be done for all people and all of your leaders now at the top of the page just so you can see that that word urge is used in romans 1 corinthians second corinthians and in 1 timothy chapter one Uh, In Romans 12, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, I urge brothers and sisters by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you all agree. 2 Corinthians 10, 1, now I Paul myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ I who am meek when face to face with you but bold, he's going to urge them but those are places where he's urging them to take action in a similar sense. Okay, chapter 2 verse 2, after saying all people Meaning you're not limiting yourself to your little Christian-believing group or your little sect, your little cult. You're praying for everyone. Everyone you're praying. Because why? Because God wants desires that everyone be saved. Why? Because Jesus paid the price, the ransom, for all men. Jesus paid the price for all men because God wants all men saved. So you are praying for what? No one but your little group? Come on, that doesn't even make sense. You don't even have the right religion. And so, first of all, and then, chapter 2, verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So here we go, to kings, Basilea, or the leaders, and that would be Caesar, the emperor. And it doesn't necessarily need, it is Nero at this time, but it would be referring kings, it means whoever your emperor is, you should be interceding with prayer for them. And the reason is going to be how it affects your life. Because, and this is this is amazing. I mean, we, we know this, but you pray for these leaders because they have, we're gonna point it out, they have authority given by God. Now, if you think you're already in the kingdom of God, <laughs> these guys don't matter. But if you come back to reality, who is controlling our governments and our world and our nations? These leaders, why? How do we stop them? Uh, you can't. God gave them the authority. Well, I, I, it's like I'm a Christian. I don't want to. It's like you better be praying. They want me to do things I don't want to do. They want me to get another vaccine. Are you praying for their guidance, their wisdom? Are you praying for leadership? Well, no. I think they're all heretics. They're satanically controlled. I'm just over here, just mad about everything right you're joining the little cult there in ephesus come back and first of all let's start praying for the leadership well we're not going to be guys you are in this age you're justified you're being sanctified and you will be glorified while you're being sanctified nero is your emperor ah he's a terrible man who put him there i'll give you the doctrines here in a minute but it's god okay so pray for the and and then it says And all those in authority coming down, which be those that Nero has appointed or Caesars have appointed, even to the local governments there in Ephesus. So that's what it's referring to. Um, You see right there uh, the word, go to page five. Authority is the word hyperochi. Uh, It means eminence, referring to any superior preeminence, including those held civic government. You've got verses very quickly, Romans 13, 1 through 2. Let everyone, this is Paul writing to the Romans, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. That would be, this is the emperor here, and the local authorities. And this becomes tough in America because we are a Christian nation. We have the right to vote. We have the right to influence So at some point, you've got to be boots on the ground, influencing your culture, involved in politics. But at the same time, you've got to be praying and interceding and praying for these people because Jesus Christ paid a ransom for all people. God's will is that all men be saved. And we're going to find out that God's will is that this person or this position has authority over the governments at this time in history. That does not mean God has lost his sovereignty, that he's not over this king but it does mean that he's working, he's working through this government. He's working through the Biden administration. God's will is being done and executed through the Biden administration. Or the Trump administration, or the Nixon, or whatever. It's like God is working through that somehow, and it's like, how, how can that be? Well, they can, look, Nero ends up running and killing himself because he went got so crazy. He killed Peter. He killed Paul. Eventually, he's eliminated from history. But Paul is saying you need to pray, what are you going to see, for quiet and peaceful lives. You need to pray for these people because they are in charge right now. Again, that, that opens up a whole another can of worms. When do you rebel? When do you fight back? That's another whole question because uh, that could become a false doctrine also because Especially America. I mean, it's like we were, for, we were you know, the, the Protestants who protested against the Catholic Church, then sailed across the Atlantic Ocean and started the Revolutionary War and fought against England. And now we're Christians. We should follow the leadership of the church and the government. Well, how did we get here? Well, we rebelled against the church and then we rebelled against the government and then we fought each other and here we are today. Uh, we should just be peaceful and loving people. It's like, do you even know where you came from? So there's, there's that kind of that question of how... How and when do you do these things? And again, I don't have the answer for those things. I'm telling you what we see right here. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Talking about the institution. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Probably referring to judgment from that institution that God has established. So, we got one. Nero is the emperor. The institution is the Roman emperor. That's an institution, the Roman... We saw it was coming. Daniel says, you're going to have the, the Babylonians. You're going to have the Persians. You're going to have the Greeks. The horns is going to be broken off of Alexander. And then it's going to be divided into four. And then there's going to come the two iron legs. There's going to come a beast, which is the Roman Empire. So, God knows this institution. It's, it's established in in prophecy this is coming this is where it's at and and in nebuchadnezzar we've got verses coming right here nebuchadnezzar and the the babylonians and the persians were appointed by god coming after him was alexander who worshiped in the temple in jerusalem so nebuchadnezzar did god's will was called god's servant cyrus the persian did god's will was called a a god's servant alexander came and worshiped god and did away now did he become a believer but he was being used by god so these things are tough. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. This is about 64 BC, AD, while Nero, who's going to cut Peter or crucify Peter upside down fairly soon, uh, 64 AD, that, that would be 2 Peter. Six, this would be more like 62 AD, probably. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But, uh, nero is the emperor but submit yourself for to for the lord's sake to every human authority whether to the emperor as the supreme authority that would be Nero at that time or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to uh, commend those who do right for it is god's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people so there is peter and paul talking about following the authorities And that is why we should pray for them, because they are established by God. Where do we get that from? Look at the next verse on page 5. I won't go through all of them. Uh, But this is something that was established, that the pagan kings, the pagan governments were established and used by God in the Old Testament. And here it is. uh, Isaiah 45, 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, Whose right hand I have grasped the subdue nations before and to loose the belts of kings, I will go before you and level the exalted places. In other words, Cyrus is going to become great because I am going to be using Cyrus. Well, he's not even a Jew; he doesn't even know God, but God is using Jeremiah 25:9. I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. How can he be his servant? He was into all kinds of sorcery and pagan worship. It's like, no, I'm going to use him, and he's going to lead the governance, and he'll be my tool, and the pagan government. That, this is Old Testament. The pagan governance, God is using their leadership. Isaiah 5. He will raise a signal for the nations. Isaiah 7 talks about Egypt and Assyria. Isaiah 8 talks about the king of Assyria. Again, we go on and on. And uh, next page, Isaiah 13, 4 through 5, the sound of a tumult is on the mountains as a great multitude, the sound of an uproar of kingdoms of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts is mustering a host for battle. So all these nations are gathering for battle. Why are they doing that? Don't they want world peace? No, they're being assembled by the Lord of hosts. Yahweh is assembling all these kings for a battle and we can see that also in revelation other places so that leads you to the next two verses on page six jeremiah 29 7 through 10 this is where paul's doctrine comes from jeremiah says writing a letter to those that had already been taken captive in 597 uh, including Ezekiel and his group by Babylon, the second captivity. He says, "Seek the well." Now, he, reason Je- Jeremiah is writing this letter is there were prophets in Jerusalem and probably in Babylon also that were prophesying, "This will not last long. The Lord will rise up with His strong hand and deliver you and take you back to your homeland." This will not last long because they're all living in sin. And Jeremiah had been saying for 40 years, <laughs> "You're living in sin. Judgment's coming." You're trying to get them to change. You need to change. And the prof- prof- false prophets and the priests were like, "Ah, we're fine. We're fine." And kept getting further and further. Finally. The first captivity, 605, Daniel goes, 597, Ezekiel and all the craftsmen go, and the prophets are saying, oh, don't worry, this won't last long. I speak by the authority of God, thus says the Lord, this is going to end soon. And Jeremiah says, okay, he writes him a letter. He says, listen. And where's his letter? He says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile over in Babylon. Wherever you're living, whatever canal village you're living in, seek the prosperity of that city because you're not coming home. This is God's word through the prophet Jeremiah. Now, it's hard to hear Jeremiah's voice in Jerusalem and Babylon because all the televangelists are talking about the deliverance of return is coming and all the news is out there and Jeremiah's like in the little background, you're not coming home, you're not coming back, pray for your city, Nebuchadnezzar is your king. And all the false prophets are like, it's going to be great, God's coming to deliver you, I see a mighty hand arising in the west, or whatever. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray for the Babylonian nation. For in its welfare, you will find welfare. When their economy is good, your economy is going to be good. Well, they're a pagan nation. So who's saying this? Jeremiah is speaking for God. If you want a good economy, you better pray for the economy of your nation, where you've been taken captive. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So you've got Jeremiah and then everybody else. And God's word is, listen to this. All these guys are lying to you. Then Ezra 6, there you've got Darius, who goes and searches to find cyrus's decree that israel could be restored we went through this on tuesday nights uh, and the bottom line there is cyrus did send them back to rebuild the temple and gave them provisions from the government and the last three lines there let that let that be given to them day by day without fail all the provisions that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the god of heaven notice that Cyrus is saying that they may offer the pleasing the correct sacrifices for their God. We want their God happy, so give them these things, because that is a pleasing sacrifice for their God, so they can please their God, but also, and then while they're pleasing their God and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Well, who's the king? Cyrus. He says, I'm gonna to have to give them provisions. You go worship your God, please him, and then when he's pleased, and he says, How can I answer your prayers? You say, Can you bless Cyrus? and his family as they lead the Assyrian Empire. That, that's, that's Cyrus. And so that is Paul's background for this beginning of correction on, on the prayer. Uh, uh, for this reason, point two, for this reason, prayer for those is that we may lead, a, oh yeah, the, the, this is the point. Why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life and live godly lives in a dignified in every way. Now, so you're gonna, why do we pray for the leadership? so that we can have, we'll just say peace, Uh, we'll talk about that word, and then we can have holiness. Peace is the climate of the culture. And again, it doesn't take much to figure this out. If you've got peace and quiet, harmony, tranquility in your community, then you've got time to make a living, take care of your family, do whatever you need to do, but also to engage in, Worship, engage in spreading the gospel, engage in study because you're not worried about living. You, that's all in control. Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Caesar, Augustus created a peaceful environment for you to then rise up with your God and begin to preach the gospel or whatever the situation. So that's why a, a, a climate, culture, and then holiness. Here's the next one: holiness and dignity is the word. Is this is the seen, observable. Uh, life, uh, action, behavior that is visible to God and visible to your culture. In other words, you're going to be able to teach the knowledge of God and have it in your soul, but then in this peaceful culture, you're going to be able to go out and live your life demonstrating to God and the culture that is like following pagan gods, you're going to be able to demonstrate holiness and dignity Because you are following, manifesting the knowledge of God. We understand this. The truth comes into our lives. The word of God, the knowledge of God comes into our life. And it transforms our soul, which changes our speech and our behavior, uh, which completely violates the whole concept of he gets us. It's like, no, he's going to save you, transform you, so you'll be like him. He wants you like him. And that's that transformation here. In fact, that's what you're praying for your leadership So they can establish some kind of a peaceful environment so you can live in tranquility and have time to study, worship, and become godly in your heart, in your knowledge, but then manifest it into an observable lifestyle before God and before people. And that's what those verses are saying right there. Uh, The word peaceful, you can see it right there. It means quiet and tranquil. It means not hassled by the turmoil of a law. See this? The opposite of this would be a lawless, watch, lawless society imagine going to church and growing in the knowledge of god in a lawless society where you're just trying to stay alive you, you don't know you may end up in prison because you're following the word of god it's sometimes there's great spiritual growth at that time we go through history uh, the seed of the martyrs is the the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church you know that whole concept but lawlessness we would much rather have a peaceful culture than a lawless culture so that's that's what that's referring to the other word, uh, peaceful and quiet. Quiet means tranquil. You used to say quiet, peaceful, almost like synonyms. And then that uh, we may li- live a godly and dignified in every way. And this is observable character. All godliness, you can see the word there. Oh man, this, I could go off on this too. This godliness was not, a, was not a, uh, just a Christian word. Godliness was something that was a cultural word godliness is if you took artemis and you lived in a way that was pleasing to artemis and again that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that doesn't instantly mean immoral it may mean that you were doing things that artemis and a lot of times these the gods in these pagan cultures would require and expect you to live a way that is productive because they don't just want to destroy the society they want the society to function so there's going to be certain standards that if you're going to follow Artemis and be pleasing to Artemis, you would live a godly life. The same thing can be said about the Old Testament. If you're going to be following the law of Moses, this would be another place where the word godliness is used. But now Paul is tying this in, godliness, not with Artemis, not with directly with the Old Testament law, but with the teaching of the knowledge of God as far as this gospel. So that is what you see bottom of page six this is the inner response to circumstances page seven uh point two uh, the visual production of the knowledge uh go down to i've got oh point six it is probably an issue because it the opposite word is used in first timothy second timothy and titus where you've got eusebia which is godliness and then the antonym asabia which means ungodliness And some references to that are in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, as you see it right there. Uh, And point 7 is what I'm saying right here. Artemis worship culture, they had what they called godliness, but also the false godliness. So you want to separate from this godliness, but you also want to separate from the, the... I didn't put this on the board, but the false teachers also had a, what they would call godliness. But this godliness was lawless this law was was a behavior that was contrary that's what you see uh point seven b the false godliness of the false teachers as seen in first timothy six five it's coming up later in this book constant friction among people who are with depraved mind and deprived of the truth imagining that godliness is a means of gain watch this the godliness that the false teachers were presenting is a a godliness that if you did this godliness you would see financial gain and that is paul is addressing that by the end of this book he calls them out they're teaching a doctrine what they call a godly lifestyle with the goal of it being not holy living not dignified not not holy in the eyes of the knowledge of god But you'll get rich. You'll get wealthy. And uh, does that sound familiar? The a depraved mind and a deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. The only reason you'd want to be godly is you're going to prosper in this age, which would fit into the realized eschatology. Uh, But he says, instead, godliness with contentment is gain. If you get true, true godliness is going to be not this, but a truly godly person is going to be able to live content. And your, your faith is in God. Your thanksgiving is to God and independent of what you have. You are still content in Christ knowing we are in process going somewhere. And there is this contentment. So false teaching godliness is I've got to have it now true godliness is going to be content if you've got it or if you don't have it this it's not like well i've got to learn no if you are godly in the true knowledge of god you're going to be content it's like you're you're above the situation Now again it, it, when you're in the midst of poverty you're in the midst of a struggle that's a, that's a little different than just preaching about it or talking about it second timothy three verse five it says that the false teachers have an appearance of godliness but deny its power avoid such people and this would be right here this would be it right here the and deny its power if you're charismatic and you want to see a lot of power and faith healing stuff it's like they're godly they're they're a denominational church but they don't like lay hands on the sick and, and see the dead rise they they, they deny its power okay, you can go there if you want to, but now you're taking one false teaching and attacking another false teaching. It's like, this basically means right here is uh, godliness, but denying its power, the power that the truth of the word of God, when it penetrates your soul and conforms you into the image of Jesus Christ, It's got the power to overcome sin. It's got the power to make you content or create a sense of contentment. The power to produce the fruit of the spirit in life. The power we're talking about here is more character, more about holiness that is demonstrable to the world that is coming from the truth. It's like the seed and the power of the seed to grow the nature of God. It's like, well, what about raising the dead? We're putting that on another category over here. We're talking about, you, you're you going to talk about godliness, but you talk about godliness, but you deny the power of a transformed life because we just want to be godly, live in sin, and make money. And so if I can be this fake godliness, continue with no power over sin, it just dominates me. But hey, look, I've got a, a boat and I've got a, a private jet. I must be really godly. What What about the ah? Uh, that doesn't matter. Denying the power of the, the, the victory. So I think that's what that's talking about. We are not going to make it, obviously. And we are at chapter 2, verse 3. And this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. I'll show you what's coming. Because that's just a general term. This is good. Uh, it, it just says pray for these people because uh, you'll have these characteristics in your life, uh, including the demonstrated holiness. And then it says this right here this this is this is a great point It's a good place to pick up next week because i really got excited about this i mean it, it transformed my thinking this is good and pleasing in the sight of god this holy life this uh peace in our culture and a holy life holiness in our life this is and we'll, we'll go up here put prayer we're going to put prayer too Prayer for all, including your leaders, for peace and holiness in your life. This, that's what this means right here. Look at chapter 2, verse 3 at the top. This, praying for your leadership that you may have peace, so that you may produce holiness in your life, demonstrable. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Now that's loaded. Good and pleasing, because what you see right down here, this whole list, is that phrase, good and pleasing. First of all, the the good in point 4, I've got that phrase from 1 Timothy 2:3 in Greek and translated, but also in the the we have the Masoretic text and then we've got the Septuagint. The Masoretic text is the Hebrew, the Old Testament written in Hebrew around 250 BC the greeks in alexandria egypt decided ptolemy decided to have the hebrew translated into greek so they could put and have access to the old testament in the greek language this septuagint this means 70 supposedly 70 scholars translated some 70 jews i don't know six from each tribe or something like that supposedly I, you know that's kind of the story but there is a septuagint and sometimes Jesus and the apostles quote from the Hebrew sometimes especially Paul in Gentile territory quotes from the Septuagint and again there's going to be a, because it's a translation there's some slight variation it's the same thing but it's like it's a slight variation sometimes it doesn't match the Septuagint and it doesn't match the Hebrew because Paul or Jesus is reading the Hebrew and then translating in their mind into Greek on the fly and i've seen pastors do that when you go up there and you talk to them they don't have a a english bible they've got a a greek bible and they go and it's like the whole time they're, they're talking to you in english but they're reading the greek text now what are they are they quoting king james or english what are they quoting they're translating as on the fly they're translating the words as they see them and so when you read in the bible and they quote something in the bible sometimes it's a quote from the hebrew that they have to translate Sometimes they're quoting directly from the Septuagint. Sometimes they know the Hebrew, and on the fly, they're just quoting it out in the Greek. Okay, in the Septuagint, that's what you have right here. Uh, Paul writes, chapter 2, verse 3, this is good and pleasing the sight of God our Savior. And then BCDE is Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 12 again, Deuteronomy 21, all where it says the same thing, in Deuteronomy this is good and pleasing or acceptable to God and so they're taking right here they're taking the law he's saying this if you want me to say it it, this holiness that comes from prayer and all people and you produce holiness this is good this one in the in Deuteronomy Moses this is good if you do this law this is good if you do this law. this is good and pleasing to God if you do this law Paul saying I'm not talking about the law you're now in an age where you're praying for these leaders that God has put in position and you're gonna now start producing holiness in your life because of knowledge of the word. This is good and pleasing to God. And then the next one we'll pick it up next week is that word acceptable is Levitical. I'm looking for the notes here, Levitical. that at the bottom of the page. Uh, acceptable is exact, and we go through that next week good is the law, the acceptable is a term used when you would bring an acceptable sacrifice to the altar and God would say, that is acceptable. I will accept that offering. Paul is saying in the legalistic code, prayer for your leadership and all people so that you may have a peaceful life and produce visible holiness is good, just like the law is good and it's an acceptable sacrifice, just like all the burnt offerings were acceptable, this is now your law and your sacrifice. In other words, he takes the Old Testament, he doesn't discount, he bases it all in the Old Testament, transfers it over here, says, you better start praying for your leadership so you've got peace, so you can produce holiness, because that, that prayer, that production, that is the law, and that is the sacrifice. That is good, and that is an acceptable sacrifice to God, and then throws in, our Savior, which spins them off into another whole direction. So this is just loaded and tied together with different things. i got to quit and pray. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we would understand them, that we'd apply it to our lives. We do ask that we would present sacrifices and things that are pleasing to you, acceptable to you in our prayer and in our lifestyle. As we pray for our nation, we pray for leadership, we pray for all people to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ but also ask that we might be empowered to live a life that that is holy and pleasing to you at this time in history. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here.